Shalom and welcome to Think Jewish. And I would like to thank once again Lara Chaya for sponsoring the refreshments. And I also want to dedicate this class to the speedy recovery of my brother, uh, Moshe Meir Cohen Ben Chana. And thank God he's back in Florida now and he should have a speedy recovery. Okay, so a little bit of an introduction to this week's Torah class. This week, we talk about Pasha's Vayigash, and we're going to focus on the Haftorah. So let's talk about a little bit the history. Every single Shabbat, we do a Torah reading. And the way it was set up for the annual cycle by Ezra the scribe, who was the prophet who came back with the Jews to Israel from the Babylonian, um, the Babylonian exile. And he's the one that instituted the system as we know it today. Every single Shabbat, we have a Torah reading. There's seven, there's seven aliyot, and then there's, and that's the way it works. The Monday, third, the Thursday, but I'm focusing now on Shabbat. Then, besides the weekly Torah portion, the parasha, there's also after that we read the half Torah. Now, what is the half Torah? So actually, there's there's discussions um, when in history the half Torah started. Uh, some people say it actually, you know, we're standing on Hanukkah, it actually was the Jewish response to Antiochus Epiphanes, which preceded the Maccabean Revolt, and he persecuted the Jews, and part of the persecution was that it was punishable by death to do publicly read the Torah. So there are some of the opinion that the Haftorah was instituted because of that, we can't read the Torah, which is the five books of Moses. Therefore, we're going to read in its place the half Torah, which always comes from the books of prophets. Other opinions say that actually it had to do with the two groups of Jews. Uh, one of them is called the Sadducees and the other ones, the ones prior to them, were called Samaritans. And basically these two groups they believed only in the written law. They didn't accept anything of our stages. And therefore, it was instituted to purposely read the books of prophets. But either way, there's, we know we, we have documentation already in the Misnaic times. We're talking about in the circa 70 CE. We have already Rabbi Lezer ben Horkinus, um is reading half Torah. Uh, later on in the 3rd century, we're talking about the great Rabbah, Talmudic, uh, a Talmudic sage. Um, Rabbah, he already had the what they call the scroll of Haftorot. Many of you haven't seen it. You're used to a regular printed Haftorah book. But there are actually some shuls that have, it looks like a little mini Sefer Torah, and it's the Haftorah. It's all the Haftorot written in the same format that the Torah is written. It does not have the laws of holiness of the Torah. It doesn't have to be in the Holy Ark. It could be laying on the table. Many shuls have it laying on the bima, those who have that custom. So there was already one of those we know in the times of Rabbah. But either way, the Haftorah is read after the Torah. So the Torah is divided into seven readings. Some have after that an Akron, but simply the custom of Chabad, we have seven aliyot. And then after that, we reread some of the last verses. And that's called maftir. And the person who gets that reading 
of Maftir is the one who, after the Torah is lifted and tied up, then takes out the book of the Haftorot and reads the Haftorah. Okay? The relationship between the Haftorah and the Torah portion is always there. In other words, there is going to always be a connection, a thematic connection between what we read in the Torah portion and what we read in that week's Haftorah. For example, in this week's Torah portion, it begins with Vayigashalav Yehuda, and Judah approached him. The him is Joseph. If you look in the Haftorah, for this week the Haftorah was chosen a portion from the prophecy of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel is told, and you shall take one branch and write upon it, Judah, you'll take another branch and write upon it Joseph and you'll bring them together and hold them in one hand. And then later on in the prophecy it goes to say the Avdi David and my servant uh, David will be the king over all of them. So because the Torah portion is talking about Judah approaching Joseph, so those who set up the half Torah found it to be appropriate to have the story, the prophecy, what will be in the times of Mashiach between Judah and Joseph, the house of Judah and the house of Joseph. For most commentaries, this is enough of a connection. And now you understand that especially if you follow the, the historical source being that they couldn't read the Torah portion in the five books of Moses, so they read the Haftorah. So obviously their goal was to read something in the Haftorah where the Jews will then remember what the Torah portion would have been about. And that's why you'll always have that connection. But for most people, the connection is broad and loose. It's a thematic, the theme. The same theme of the Parsha is the theme of the Haftorah. However, the details of the Haftorah, most people aren't going to focus and say every detail of the Haftorah has to be matching to the details of the same theme in the five books of Moses. However, the Rebbe Blessed Memory, in his view of the perfection of Torah and all the customs, the holy customs, the Rebbe very often, I remember standing there by Fabrengans personally, the Rebbe very often would focus on not just the theme of the Haftorah, but how the details of the Haftorah gives us huge insight that we wouldn't have known otherwise to the theme of the parasha in the five books of Moses. Based on that, we have a very interesting question. There seems to be a paradox between the Torah portion where Judah meets, approaches Joseph, and in the Haftorah, uh, the prophecy of Ezekiel, where there's the two branches of Judah and Joseph becoming one. What is the paradox? The paradox is that when you read the Torah portion, Joseph is the viceroy. Joseph is the powerful one. Judah approaches him and says, Be Adoni, please my master, my Lord, let me speak. So Judah is the lower one, Joseph is the higher one, and Judah is approaching Joseph. However, if you look in the prophecy of Ezekiel, which is this week's half Torah, it's the exact opposite. 
I told you that after the prophecy tells him to put together the two branches that they become as one, what is the final verdict of the Haftorah? Va'avdi David and my servant King David who comes from the house of Judah will be the king over them. So while the Parsha is telling us that Joseph is higher than Judah, the half Torah is telling us that Judah is higher than Joseph. And the Rebbe focuses on this detail and says that obviously the half Torah is telling us that even though in the simple sense of the story, Joseph is higher than Judah and Judah approaches Joseph, hidden within that story is actually that Judah is higher than Joseph. And that's what the Haftorah reveals to us. Dig a little deeper and hidden within here, you'll see that even though the simple story reads that Joseph is higher than Judah, if you read deeper, you'll see that Judah is higher than Joseph. So much so that there's an unbelievable, unbelievable Kabbalistic teaching on these three words. Vayigash elav Yehuda, take the last three letters. Vayigash Shin, Elav, Vav, Yehuda, Hey. Those three letters, the last letters of the three Hebrew words for and Judah approached him spells out the word Shaveh. Shaveh means equal. And the Kabbalistic teaching is telling us that you should know that Judah's approaching Joseph was actually not where Judah was inferior and Joseph was superior, but you should know that they were actually equal. However, the Rebbe is looking not for they should be equal because the prophecy of Ezekiel says that Judah is higher than Joseph. And thus the Rebbe sees in this Kabbalistic acronym that by Judah being equal to Joseph, Judah becomes higher than Joseph. This we have to figure out how it works. Okay? There's going to be some Kabbalah here, but it's not a Kabbalistic class. It's a really a very practical class, a very practical class in our daily lives. And we'll see you soon. Okay? So, let's go on a little bit. We're taught that this balance between Joseph and Judah, that Joseph is higher than Judah, Judah is higher than Joseph, actually, and the time when they're equal, this actually refers to different eras in the Jewish history. The parasha is telling us what? The beginning of the story of exile. The Jews are going into Egypt. The Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim means constraints and therefore and therefore we're taught that Mitzrayim the Egyptian exile doesn't only refer to the Egyptian exile but every exile after that that the Jewish people experience is all an offshoot of the exile of Egypt. So the, to the Torah portion in the parasha is talking about the time of exile. In the time of exile the simple format is that Joseph represents, in the teachings of Kabbalah, Joseph represents the ninth emanation, which is Yesod, foundation. The job of Yesod is to transmit all of the emanations above it to the receiver. Who is the receiver? 
the receiver is the tenth emanation, which is Malchut, kingship. Which is, by the way, why in Kabbalah we refer to Yisoid, the male, the power of reproduction of the male, because it's the transmission of all the emanations above into Malchut, the feminine mystique, kingship. Okay? So what we have over here is that simply speaking in the times of exile, which is what the Torah story is practically talking about, Joseph is higher than Judah, and therefore Joseph is the one that transmits and empowers Judah, and therefore Judah comes to Joseph and says, Be Adoni, please my Lord. Asking to be empowered by Joseph. However, when it comes to the times of Mashiach, which is what Ezekiel is prophesizing about, and then the house of David will be king over all of them, when it comes to the time of Mashiach, what happens is that Malchut, kingship, the source, what is the source of Malchut? The king is related to the crown. That means the source of Malchut, kingship, the lowest of all the emanations, it is rooted in the depth of the supernal crown. And therefore, when Mashiach comes, it will be just the opposite. It will be King David, the house of Judah, which is higher than the house of Joseph. And King David, the house of Judah, Mashiach, will be the one to empower the house of Joseph with even greater light, greater infinite light than Judah experienced on its own. By the way, the reflection that we have of this today is the chuppah. Who walks around who? The woman walks around the man. That is a terminology we use by Mashiach. By Mashiach we say that Nekeva Saviv, the woman will surround, she will have to give the encompassing greater light to the gever, to the man. That whole act of the chuppah, the woman walking around the man seven times, is actually the footprints of Mashiach. That will happen when Mashiach comes. So too today, the body receives life from the soul. The body is considered Malchut, the female. The soul is considered the male, the seven emotions. Primarily, we're going to talk tonight about Yisod, foundation. When Mashiach comes, it'll be just the opposite. In the body will be revealed the greater infinite light of God, and therefore the soul is actually going to nourish from the body and not vice versa. Where do you have a footprint of that today? Very simple. Why does the soul even come down to this world? Because the soul can sense, it can smell that through the body it receives greater divinity than it has on its own. The revelation and actualization of that will be when Mashiach comes. So now we understand that the parasha is talking about one era of the Jewish people, exile, pre-Mashiach, pre-the-revelation of the source of the supernal crown, which is only manifesting itself in kingship, Malchut, while Ezekiel is talking about the prophecy of when Mashiach comes, which then Judah will be higher, it won't be the recipient, it will be the ultimate giver, 
because it is connected far deeper in the supernal crown than Yesod, Joseph, foundation. Okay? Now that we understand this, we can so much more appreciate the Rebbe's approach that hidden in the Chumash, which is talking about exile, has to already be the seeds of Mashiach. When the Rebbe is saying that the Haftorah is not talking about a separate time just, but the Haftorah is revealing to us that even in the Parashat this is hidden, through the acronym of the ending letters of the three words, what it's telling us is that there must be the seeds of Mashiach in exile because that's what empowers us to bring Mashiach and to bring about all the revelations of Mashiach. Only that it's hidden in the parasha. On the revealed level of the parasha, we're learning about exile. Hidden in the acronym of the last letters, it's telling us that already in exile lies the seeds to bring about Mashiach. And therefore, even in the parasha, it's hidden that Judah is higher than Joseph, and Judah empowers Joseph. Okay? I know it's still Kabbalistic. We're getting there. Okay? Let's go further. In the world of Hasidus, every story of the Torah, every biblical story, is actually, in a spiritual level, not a historical biblical story, but actually a present individual relationship with God. That means that each and every one of us, when we read the story of Judah and Joseph, we're not talking about ancient people that lived in the times of and were the children of Jacob. We're actually, according to Chassidus, we're talking about Judah and Joseph in my individual relationship with God has to manifest itself and most importantly in my service to God. So you'll always find Hasidus telling us that the story that you read as history of yesterday is actually lessons of today. Within us there is a Judah, within us there's a Joseph. Within us there's the service of Judah, and within us there's the service of Joseph. So therefore, the teachings of Hasidus tell us that the service of Joseph is the service of Torah study. The service of Judah is the service of prayer. And now we have to explore each one of these different services to God and to see the power and limitations of each. And then we can focus on these two layers that we were talking about. That Joseph is higher than Judah, but really Judah is higher than Joseph. And then we'll be able to understand a much deeper appreciation to the prophecy of Ezekiel. Bring them both together. Because when you bring them both together to be equal, then you'll have the power of King David, which is even greater than Joseph. So let's understand what we're talking about here. Let's give a little bit of a, of a discussion about what the power of Torah study is and then what the power of prayer is. So... Whenever in Kabbalah we talk about the infinite light, or Ein Sof, the infinite light. So Kabbalah wants to define what does it mean infinite. For our minds to be able to wrap around it, what is the definition of infinite? So there's a description to the word infinite 
concerning the infinite light, the Or Sof. And it goes as follows. Lamala mala ad enkets, above, above to no end. Lamata mata ad entichla. Lower and lower, below, below to no finish. And that's what makes the Or, the infinite light, infinite because it goes higher, higher, above, above to no end. And it goes below, below to no finish. Now, what is the definition of these two in this teaching? Which, by the way, is a teaching of the Rebbe in 1965. The, uh, the, the explanation is as follows. Torah study is all about what? Torah study is all about bringing the Word of God down. So the infinite of Torah study is the below, below to no finish. That means that the Torah manifests itself all the way down, even in the human limited intellect. What is the power of prayer? The power of prayer is that the word of mankind should reach above and beyond the infinite light, which is the creation of cause and effect. Let's talk about this. When a person is, God forbid, sick, it isn't a mistake. Everything has to do with the relationship of God. The Torah tells us, if you will do A, B, and C, this and this will happen. If you do not do A, B, and C, that will happen. That means that everything that happens to us is defined by the infinite light of the Torah, which is the set of rules, the wisdom of God, the set of rules of God, the justice of God, and that controls cause and effect. And that's why mitzvot make a difference. We do what God wants. V'haya im shemoa, and if you will heed to my words, then I will give the rains and yada yada. And then if you won't, there's the opposite. What's prayer? Prayer is that a person, let's say for example, is sick. A person, for example, is poor. Now, we now know that the reason a person is sick or poor is because of an effect of a cause yet we're asking God that even though our behavior our cause created an undesired effect we're asking you God the master of the wisdom the master of the system to override the system and let the person be well let the person be rich let the person find the shidduch in other words, the power of prayer, when we say, le mala mala, it goes above and above. What we're saying is that it goes beyond the evolutionary, uh, the evolution of the, the infinite light as it became the wisdom of God and the rules of justice of the entire system of cause and effect. Torah says, I'm sorry, you can't be healthy because you did A, B, and C. You can't be rich because you did uh, D, E, and F. And we're not going to help you find a shidduch because you did G, H, and I. It's all cause and effect. It's very simple. Comes along prayer and says, one second. The book says no. Let me talk to the author of the book. The master of the will. And that's the power of prayer. So prayer is all about the infinite of the infinite light, which goes above, above, beyond the light as we know it 
as it manifests itself in the Torah, in the rules of cause and effect. The beauty of Torah is that it descends all the way down here, that the unbelievable infinite wisdom of God can manifest itself within the finite human mind. Most people don't stop to think and appreciate the power of Torah study. The power of Torah study means that my finite human egocentric mind was given the gift to be understand a teaching of the infinite selfless wisdom of God. That doesn't make sense. But that's the power of the infinite, of the infinite light within Torah. Okay? I want to take it to the next step. The infinite light of the Torah on a deeper level, when we say it goes down, down, what we're saying is that the infinite light of Torah will manifest itself in the mind of every single Jew equally. But that seems to be not true. There's the scholar and then there's a the simpleton. There's a the person who barely knows how to learn Chumash and there's the person who's writing books on the Talmud. So how are we saying this? And the answer is that yes, in understanding the wisdom of God, there are differences between people. However, in the divinity of the Torah, there is no difference. What's the proof? The proof is that on Shabbat, you will call up, or Monday, Thursday, Rosh Chodesh, Hanukkah, whenever you read the Torah, you will call up a person to the Torah who has no idea what is being read. And not only do you call him up and give him an aliyah, he actually makes a blessing on the Torah before and after. Now, you can't not make a blessing on an apple if you're just going to look at it. You have to make a blessing on an apple only if you're going to eat it. And if you make a blessing on an apple and you don't eat it, you just look at it, you actually committed a sin. You said God's name in vain. So the person who's standing up there like a yo-yo, not even knowing the letters in Hebrew, he doesn't even know where, what's going on. He was just told, you ever see that? They, they, they tell the guy, no, 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 hold on to the Torah. He's already walking away after he made the blessing. No, 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 stay here, hold on to the Torah. And he's just looking around. He has no idea. It could be Greek. It could be Hebrew. He's just standing there. That man makes a blessing. Why is he making a blessing? He's not participating in the Torah. He's not digesting the Torah. He doesn't understand a word that's going on. And the answer is because the blessing is not over when it comes to the five books of Moses only. Not the oral law. But when it comes to the five books of Moses, the blessing is not over the understanding of the words of Torah. It's over digesting the divinity of the Torah. And therefore, he can make a blessing without understanding a word that's being said. Because he did eat the apple. He didn't eat the intellectual part of the apple. He ate the most important part, which is the divinity of the apple. And that's why he can make a blessing. So when we say that the Torah, the infinite part of the Torah, is that it descends lower and lower and lower to the lowest, and it remains divinity, that's why every person can absorb through getting called up to the Torah, making a blessing, the divinity of the Torah. So now we understand that there's a huge difference 
between these two services of Judah and Joseph. The power of Joseph is that it ascends beyond the orderly evolution of the infinite light, which creates cause and effect. It overrides the system. Why does it override the system? Because it connects to an unprecedented infinite light, which is above and beyond the orderly infinite light of cause and effect, the wisdom of Torah, the laws of justice, God's justice. On the other hand, we speak about the power of Torah is that when it comes down into this physical world, it is holy and the wisdom of God. The person who stands by the Torah, regardless whether he understands what it is, he knows that you kiss the Torah and you make a blessing on the Torah. The Torah has to be placed in the Holy Ark. God forbid, God forbid, we shouldn't drop a Sefer Torah. He knows that when they open the Ark, you have to stand up. Because the revelation of Torah and Torah study is all about the revelation of God. Torah is all about the Word of God. And that's why concerning the Torah, the verse says, And the Word of God is upon my tongue. Now this also causes a vice within Torah study. Because Torah study is all about the revelation of God, it does, not it does not manifest itself in physical change. When the person gets an aliyah and he walks down from the holy bima where the Torah is laying, he doesn't become a changed person. There was a spiritual change. He digested the revelation of divinity of that aliyah which he received by the Torah, but there is no physical change. When we talk about prayer, prayer, because it goes to unprecedented heights, it actually manifests itself within physical change. Prayer is all about making a physical change. We're praying for the sick man not to become spiritually well. We're praying for him to become physically well. We're praying for the poor man not to become spiritually rich, but to become physically rich. We're praying for the single person not to have a spiritual soulmate, but to actually have a physical soulmate, to actually get married physically. That you don't have by Torah. You do have it by prayer. So on one hand, let's just line this up appropriately. On one hand, the power of Torah is divine revelation what comes down here is divine revelation but it doesn't create a physical change it creates a spiritual change the power of prayer is that it reaches up above and beyond and therefore it can create a physical change what is the weakness of prayer the weakness of prayer is that when your prayer is answered, you don't see that it's the hand of God. Everything that has to do with Torah, you know that you're talking about the wisdom of God. It's holy. It's divine revelation. However, when it comes to prayer, how many of us, when our prayer gets answered, we sit so proud about our genius, how we figured out to run a business, 
or the genius of medical breakthroughs that helped cure my friend who was sick. That's the problem with prayer. They tell a story of a man that was running late to his meeting and he's running late. He pulls into the parking lot. The parking lot is packed and he's running around and he's saying, oh God, please, please, he's praying. God, please, please help me find a parking spot. Lo and behold, right in front of him, someone pulls out of the parking spot and he smiles full of joy. He says, don't worry, God, it's okay. I took care of it. That's the problem with prayer. Right when God answers the prayer, we don't necessarily factually see that it is the hand of God. While when it comes to Torah study, you're very clear that this is divine revelation. So, I'm being repetitious because I want to be very clear. It's not, it's not a, a very easy difference. So I want to just clearly line up again the difference between Torah study and prayer, which is the difference between Judah and uh, Joseph and Judah. So let's be clear. The beauty of Torah study is that it brings divine revelation into this world. It is divine revelation. On the other hand, it is within the limitations of divine preordained cause and effect and it doesn't create physical change. The power of prayer is that it reaches beyond the infinite light of wisdom of Torah, which is a defined cause and effect. And it comes down here physically. It makes a physical change. The weakness of prayer is that when it accomplishes what it accomplishes is it isn't an outright in your face divine revelation. You could be arrogant enough to tell God, no, it's okay, I took care of it. Okay? So, now we understand the deeper meaning of Joseph and Judah in the Torah portion. And we understand the deeper meaning of jo Joseph and Judah in the Haftorah, the prophecy of Ezekiel. They all have their plus and their minus. And Judah is asking Joseph in the parsha that I don't want to end up being an arrogant atheist after my prayer is answered. Please empower me that it should all be about divine revelation. Now let's talk about that. Each on their own has a power and has a minus. Now let's talk about what happened. Joseph came to Judah. I'm sorry. Judah came to Joseph and said to him, Be Adoni. Please, my Lord, listen to me. Our sages say that what, Joseph, what Judah was actually saying is the exact same verse that you and I say every single day, three times a day, before we begin our prayer, our Amidah prayer. It's a verse in Tehillim, in Psalms. You remember that little verse you say right before you start the Amidah? Hashem Svatai Tiftach in English, the exact translation of that is, O Lord, you shall open my lips and my mouth will recite your praise. Now the Targum, there's a couple of translations. There's a famous Uncleus, there's a Jonas and Ben Oziel, almighty giants. 
But the Targum, one of them says as follows. The words, O Lord, open my lips, he translates as open my lips with Torah. Now this translation is very problematic. We're about to go pray. So what are we telling God? Open our lips with Torah? No, we'll open our lips with prayer. So Hasid is to the rescue. And Hasidus explains what it really means. What it means is that when it comes to Torah, the words that I say, I am clearly conscious that it's not my words. It's the words of God upon my tongue. Right? So therefore, what we're really saying with this verse is we're asking God that as I stand and pray before you, it should not be only my desperate plea for my perception of my physical needs. Rather, I'm asking you, God, please open me up to the humbleness that my words of prayer should be just like the words of Torah. Let my mouth sing your praise. May your prayer be upon my lips. In other words, what Judah was actually saying to Joseph was a prayer that what I'm asking is that my prayer should be with the transparency and the humbleness that the words that come out of my mouth should not be about me, me, me. It should rather be you open up my lips and let my mouth say your praise, your prayer. So what we're doing here is we're taking the two branches of one tree and we're bringing it together. In other words, we're asking God that in our prayer, which is supposed to be all about the power of going above and beyond, the master of the will, the author of the book, he who wrote the justice laws, should go ahead and override them and make a physical change. But now it becomes not only that, but I'm asking that I should be humble and open to see that the words of prayer are the words of God and the answer to the prayer is the hand of God. When you say that verse before your Amida prayer, what you just did is you brought together Judah and Joseph. Because we have the humbleness and the openness to see that it's all about divinity. And we have the power of prayer to reach beyond the infinite light of cause and effect and override and make physical change. So the deeper message of this entire teaching between Ezekiel's prophecy and the work of the parasha, where seemingly there seems to be a paradox of who's greater than who. So let's lay down who is greater than who. Joseph is greater than Judah because Joseph's manifestation in this world is divine revelation. It's the word of God and we know it and we see it and we feel it. Joseph is great. I'm sorry, Judah is greater than, jo greater than Joseph because Judah transcends beyond the infinite light. It goes to the author of the book, not just the book. 
and therefore it can make physical change. The weakness of Chomeshi, of Torah study is it can't make physical change. But whatever it is, is very clearly divine revelation. The weakness of prayer is that when it does manifest itself, I can, God forbid, become an arrogant atheist and deny that it was an answer from God to my prayer. But when before we pray, we actually ask of God, please give me the absolute humbleness that the words of my prayer should not be that of a human in distress begging you to do what he thinks he needs you to do for him. But rather I'm asking of you, God, open my lips. Let it be your words. Let me speak, say your praise. Let me pray for that which you see is best for me. Then automatically the post-prayer experience is that I see the hand of God in everything I do, in every experience I have, in anything that happens to me. And thus when you have a Yiga Shalav Yehuda, when Yehuda and Joseph are brought together, remember the acronym? Shaveh. The revelation is that prayer is more powerful than Torah study. Because what happens here is that you make physical change and see that it's all the hand of God. Not my arrogance. That is the ultimate experience. The ultimate power is that through prayer, we draw down a divine light, an infinite, unprecedented divine light, which changes the rules. It makes physical change. And I sit there open to see the hand of God in the glove of nature. Bring the two sticks together and they will become one. And King David will rule over all of them. There will be physical change. There will be unprecedented infinite light. And I'll be open to see it. And Judah approached Joseph. Judah approached Joseph by introducing into his prayer that it be the words of God. That leads us to the acronym at the end of the words that they both become equal because Judah now has the Joseph power of humbleness. It's not me. It's God's words, which makes Judah more powerful than Joseph because there's going to be a physical change and I'm going to see that it's all the hand of God. So in closing, in closing, there are two practical lessons from this deep mystical teaching number one when we pray to God it cannot only be our desperate plea to fulfill our understanding of our needs we must stop for a second before we reach out to God with our prayers for our needs to reflect upon and to ask oh Lord you shall open my lips and my mouth will recite your praise so next time Practically speaking, before you dive in and you get into the, oh God, I need this and I need that and please help and this one needs health and this one needs parnasah and this one needs a shidduch and this one needs peace of mind and this, before you do that, stop for a second. Just stop. And just be humble. God, you open my lips. You put your words of prayer onto my tongue. Practical lesson number one. 
Practical lesson number two. Then, when God does answer our prayers, we must remain humble and see that it is the hand of God at work. That's the deeper teaching of Judah and Joseph becoming two branches, joining to become one. And the outcome is that the power of prayer reigns. Physical change through unprecedented divine light with me being able to see it. Thank you.